You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations who live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And in this week's episode, my guest is Tiffany Defoe, who is a catalyst in the world of women's leadership and the author of Drop the Ball, which is a memoir and a manifesto that shows women how to let go. I'm going to talk about her a bit more in a minute. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you and this interview with you with with Tiffany who's got some real gems for us all but I wanted to start with what's driving me this week and you know I was going to talk about a number of things but I wanted to share something that happened to me and that was last week I got to I've been doing quite a lot of traveling for my work and um I got to Thursday and I was absolutely exhausted. Like I woke up exhausted and um, I was struggling through my day. So much so that when I had a window, I had to do a power nap to just get me through the day. I don't know if you do power naps, but I don't often do them, but I needed it. And um, one thing that I do and have done is I've scheduled this thing which I call my duvet day once a month and that means I block out my day once a month and the intention is that I like if I'm I take my son to school come back and I get into bed and I hang out in bed all day and I don't work now I've scheduled one once a month each month but in truth I've only ever honored it once before this year shamefully because I know it's November and but I was like so tired that I needed to have my duvet day so Friday I had an acupuncture appointment I had one meeting with my PA I did so it wasn't quite a 100% duvet day but when I got back from my acupuncture appointment I got into bed and it was a transformational day after that day of resting of not having to respond not always been on my phone not answering all the emails not all the things that I have to do for my work the next day I was refreshed I was clear I was energized and all it took was a few hours in bed and some of that time was wasn't sleeping but just chilling and some of that time was actually sleeping so this is what my takeaways was from that number one is honor the duvet day that's scheduled in my in my calendar number one you put it in and you honor it you make sure that you do it because it's rejuvenating Number two, to listen to myself and my body and what I really need early enough so I don't get so exhausted. And I think that's what was one of the issues. I wasn't listening to what I needed. And I need to do that and pay more attention 
as I've been dealing with a number of things this year is we get into different types of self-care practices, which I have some, you know, like my yoga. I talked about that last time. But we need to review our self-care practices. Is it in line with what we now need? Do we need a little bit more? Do we need to put more energy in to thinking about what our self-care practices is in? So I'm now reviewing all the various things that I do and seeing and making sure that it's enough for what I need and what I'm coping with in my life right now. And the last thing is, to make sure that I have a whole duvet day. And the duvet is you get in under your duvet and you just sleep. Now, it's so rare for me to do that. I said I I don't normally honour it. You know, I put it in my schedule, but I usually override it. And I'm no longer going to override my duvet days. So my recommendation to you is review your self-care practices, checking on how you're feeling, And make sure that you have a duvet day because I'm now going to make sure that I have mine. So I wanted to share that with you. That's what's been driving me this week. And now I also wanted to go on to share the review of the week. You know, I said that I would now on start with reading out some of the five star reviews that I've got for the podcast. And thank you so much for putting in a review of the podcast I love reading them and it also inspires me to keep going with the work that I'm doing in finding these amazing women for you and creating the podcast and um, doing the work so let me share this one so this one is from Millie Squiggles I love these names Millie Squiggles and five star inspiring and insightful is the title What a beautifully thoughtful podcast, bringing stories of both trials and success in business and life. A great venue for personal growth and reflection as presented by a visionary host in Shirley McAlpine as she explores the personal stories and experiences of her truly remarkable guests. Geared towards black women, but this podcast can be an inspiration for a, a much wider audience. I love that. Thank you so much, Millie. I appreciate your review so much. Keep the five star reviews coming. Head over to iTunes, do the rate and review and um, let me know what you think. I will be choosing a five star review to to um, read out at each episode and I really, it's how we grow the show. It's how it starts to rise in terms of visibility is the more reviews, five-star reviews that we get. So please help us out, help us grow the show through rating and reviewing the show. And I'll read one out next week. Okay, so we are going to move on to Tiffany. And um, let me tell you about my guest, Tiffany. Tiffany Dufu author of Drop the Ball is, as I said, is a memoir and a manifesto that shows women just how to let go and how to to really review the standards that we set for ourselves. Her foreword in her book is by Gloria Steinman. Amazing. Amazing. And she says that Drop the Ball is important 
path-breaking, intimate and brave. Tiffany was named Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women. She is founder and CEO of The Crew, which is a peer coaching service for women looking to accelerate their professional and personal growth. She was a launch team member to Lean In and was chief leadership officer at Levo, which is one of the fastest growing millennial professional networks. Prior to that, Tiffany served as president of the White House Project, as a major gifts officer at Simons College in Boston and as associate director of the development at Seattle Girls School. She serves on the board of Girls Who Code and Simons College, and she's a member of the Women's Forum New York. She lives in New York with her husband and her two children. Cassandra and I really pride ourselves on, you know, bringing really good quality sound in our podcasts. And I have to say, unfortunately, for this interview, the sound did not come out as well as we had liked would like it to so apologies but the content was so good I didn't want to just leave it um and not post it so I'm asking you to kind of press through the sound for this interview because it is worth it and um and of course we'll we will bring you good quality sound in the future so here you are here's Tiffany so Tiffany thank you so much for being a guest on she's got drive and sitting in the guest chair this week Oh, thank you for having me. It's awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you about your life, your work, your success, and the many different things that you're doing. But I'm also interested in us having some time talking about your book and the messaging in your book and how you came to write your book, your your self-discovery that led to your book, Drop the Ball, and why it's important that we really pay attention to messages in there and some strategies like if we can leave our listeners with some ideas and things that they can think about in their own lives because us around that so but let's I want to start with you and who, who you are and what you do so why don't you start there by just telling our listeners a little bit about, about yourself and, and the work that you're doing well my life's work is advancing women and girls that's pretty much why I'm on the planet My life is simple in that regard. I already know what's on my tombstone, and I'm just project managing my life backwards on those days. And right now, I feel really lucky that I get to do that via this portfolio life um, because I'm a part of the new economy now. I have a public speaking practice. I am an author. I spend a lot of time on nonprofit boards supporting them with getting girls earlier in the pipeline on the board of Girls Who Code and Simmons College. But before that, I had very traditional jobs. I was chief leadership officer of a technology company called Lavo. It's like the LinkedIn for millennial women. I, before that, ran an organization called the White House Project. It was a national organization that trained women to run for office. And before that, I worked at Simmons College. So before I was a board member, I worked at Simmons. Before that, I was at a girls' school. So, you know, every job that I've had has been, like every professional job I've had has been focused on how do we harness women and girls' talent and ingenuity and and really harness that for the benefit of all of us. And I feel really fortunate that my passion and my purpose and my career are aligned because I connect with a lot of women for whom that's not the case. Right. Right. Which is why she's got drive, you know, like, how do you have women like you sharing 
that and the, where, what they're doing in the world and that the clarity with your the way that you speak your purpose the way that you know your purpose and that then then you making choices about what you're doing to match what you're up to in the world so this That's is like beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> love it so much so how did you get to have so i'm curious how you got that clarity and when you got that clarity because yeah. it's so clear and there's so much that's kind of come oh you know did the work come and then you went uh, or did you have the clarity and then the work came well i believe that purpose you know, is not something that necessarily comes from on high. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are walking down the street and the skies open up and they drop to their knees and some voice of God says, you are here to save the orca whales or something like that. Okay, that has not happened to, to me or really anyone that I know personally. For me, purpose is simply a commitment inspired by experience. Okay. We all have experiences in our lives and I could crosswalk you back to several experiences that inspired my commitment to advancing women and girls. Number one, I'm the oldest of four girls. I've always been a big sister. My youngest sister is nearly 20 years, you know, my junior. So I spent a lot of time coaching and supporting women as a big sister. Um, number two, I had a really um, a somewhat traumatic experience when I was 16 years old. My parents divorced and my mom had been what people call a stay-at-home mom. I call them non-paid working moms because all moms are working moms, Lord. But, you know, I learned, um, and she found out she was pregnant with me when she was only 19 years old. My family is from LA. My parents were from Watts. And my dad joined the military. My mom basically had an uncle who was an army recruiter, got him to join the army. He went to college on what in the U.S. is called the GI Bill, eventually earned a Ph.D. in theology. And he, you know, when I was growing up, he was the pastor of churches. But suffice it to say, my mother sacrificed an enormous amount in order to be the preacher's wife, to be the homemaker, to take care of her family and her friends and her community and the church. And when my parents got divorced, I had this enormous awakening, which was that all of the social, and I wouldn't have articulated it this way at 16, but you know, all of the social, economic, political capital that I thought was our family's. I learned was only our father's, okay, because he was the one who had worked outside the home. He was the one who had a mass education. He was the one who had the awards. He was the one who was the beacon in the community. And what I saw after my parents' divorce was my mom spin back into a very vicious cycle that she had escaped, you know, by leaving Watts, by leaving LA many years previously of violence and of poverty and of addiction. And so that whole experience for me really caused me to think deeply about the decisions that women make and how we're socialized and the systems that we're in. And to be quite honest, I spent most of my early 20s trying to save my mom and finally came to a point where it became very clear to me, you know, you have to understand that you're the most powerful change agent in your own journey. No one can do that for you, not even your daughter who's trying really hard. And so I probably am just trying to every day get to as many women as I can 
to help them understand that they're the most powerful to engage in their own journey because that was the gift that my mother gave to me. And I'm so indebted because she didn't have a mom who gave her that gift, but somehow she was able to give it to me. And I feel that I am the woman that I am today in large part because I had her for the first 16 years and because every day she told me that I was smart and that I was beautiful and that I was loved. So those are two experiences that I've had, you know, in my life, Shirley, my experience with my mother and that journey, my experience as a sister that really caused me to hone in on the decisions that we make, our mindset, how we envision our realities, how much control and agency we feel over our circumstances as opposed to feeling like life is happening to us and really being interested in how we can develop that in more girls and obviously more women. Those are, those are just two. And by the way, I could spend an hour and a half, two hours with almost any person and we could do story mining and we could ladder up to almost any purpose. Yeah. So then I just, so I've decided, and by the way, you can change your mind. Of course, right? <laughs> of course. But I've decided right. based on a series of experience that this is what I want to commit to because I can't do everything. I can't save the orca whales and the planet and change ed reform, right? right? And like overhaul the tax system and make sure that our nation has affordable health care and get more women into leadership all in one lifetime. Right. So, you, I mean, there's, yeah, that's right. There's so many things that you care about and then there's things that you go to work on, which is right. different, right? And yeah. it doesn't mean you don't care about them, but you absolutely yeah. go to work on that. And yeah. that you've spoken about the very, very powerful life lesson as a, the daughter watching your mom and experiencing yeah. it at the same time. You're not just yes. a bystander, of course, you're in it with yes. her. And the impact, the, the impact of many, for many women, divorce and who have chosen the similar paths, right? Exactly. And by the way, that's what fuels my drive. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm an ambitious woman and my favorite definition of ambition is by a woman named Anna Fells. She wrote a book called Necessary Dreams. Ambition is a combination of your desire to achieve mastery of a craft. Mm -hmm. You want to be really good at something combined with a desire to receive public recognition for it. Okay. You want your gold star. If you want to be really good at something and you want your gold star, you are an ambitious woman. And what my struggle with my mom really taught me was the importance of women having economic freedom. My mom's economic reliance on men caused her to have to make excruciating decisions that didn't allow her to be free. And so I was very much committed to my financial freedom and economic freedom, which really fueled my ambition. So, you know, unlike, for example, some women who have children and feel that they want to prioritize spending time with their children, when I had children... I wanted to prioritize making money (laughs) because what I knew was that even though I was married, 
you never know what life will bring you. You never know what will happen. You know, he, he's an extraordinary man, but he's not promised to me. And so I wanted to always make sure that I always had enough money to care for myself and to care for my children. So that experience also is where a lot of my drive is rooted and where it comes from. And so, that, so that's really, because there's a number of things that's resonating with me as you say that, you know, very much similar to the continue to work very independent inter, independent and interdependent with my partner um but really maintaining my own and now i'm the economic our economic power our economic um what that buys us in life can cannot be underestimated right and right. and yet many women do and it's really i think it's a very I'm curious about your experience as you've talked about this because I think it can be a very sensitive area to discuss with women um, because it isn't a judgment about what the choices that women are making, but there is an impact around the choices that some women are making. Well, I would argue that most of us are not making the choices in the way that we think that we are. And that's part of the reason why I wrote Drop the Ball because I really wanted to deconstruct the circumstances that create the high expectations that we have for ourselves. Mm -hmm. What you might feel is a choice. For a long time, I felt that a lot of the things that I were doing were choices, but it turns out that they were largely default mechanisms. They were default expectations based on these job descriptions. Right? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I started to like explore, well, where did I get this job description? Well, it comes from our childhoods, whatever we saw for me, the women in my lives doing. My mom, remember, was this, you know, non-paid working mom. It came from popular culture. I grew up on the Cosby show, so mm-hmm. I was basically gonna be Claire Huxtable. Yes, the Cosby and, show has a lot to answer for. Oh yes, yes. And you know, Claire, I mean she was bad. She was a badass, but she was flawless. She had perfect hair. She had perfect makeup. She was right. always dressed. Right. She, her house was always clean. Always she clean. had like five, five, surely perfectly well-behaved children, except for Theo. You know, he messed up a little bit, but he still went to school. He still went to college. Right. And in the second season of her life, she made partner at a law firm. Right, which which is fairly unrealistic, um, to say the least. For all of that. You know? Yeah. And so, she never had a nanny. No. She no. never she ne- hold on. She never had a nanny. She never no. had a nanny. She never talked about childcare. Oh. Surely. No. <laughs> No, I just realized that actually. Enter the scene. When we enter the scene, all the kids have already been born, obviously. But can you just imagine? Think about what is required in order to become partner at a law firm. And think about having five children and all those maternity leaves, all those pregnancies during the era that the Cosby show was airing. I mean, it's just really crazy, you know, think about it. But either way, you know, we internalize all of all these of messages and that's how we end up feeling an enormous amount of pressure mm-hmm. because we have these expectations of ourselves that really are not in alignment with the real world right. or with uh, you know the history that we remember compared to the reality of today so for example i expected my house to be clean and my, you know, daughter's hair to always be cornrowed beautifully like mine was. But I did take into consideration the fact that my mom didn't have a cell phone. 
She didn't have email. Right. Remember, she didn't work outside of the home. Right. I did. And yet my home was supposed to look like it did exactly. when I was growing up, right? Exactly. So I just I think it's really important for us to um, take a step back and to really get clear about what matters to each one of us. And we can talk about how to do that and to really recurate our job descriptions in a way that works for the reality of our lives so that that, that to me is what we'll need in order to create strategy screens and real actual choices. Yeah. Um, because most of us are not making choices. We're kind of living other people's stories. But what are the changes? Where does someone begin? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, this is the tough part, right? <laughs> um, I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be someone who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. I mean, I felt that that was the worst thing that I could ever do. And I felt that if I ever dropped a ball, it meant that I was disappointing myself. I was disappointing other people around me, uh, that I was failing, and that I was, I was failing not just on myself, but... I know it sounds dramatic, the entire black race, (laughs) as if if I don't do well in this job, they'll never hire another black person again, right? And so... I mean, that's not over... Tiffany, that isn't OTT at all, because many of us hold that burden Mm -hmm. in the roles that we're holding that we because there isn't there is some elements of truth in that, in that we're being observed, we're being watched, particularly when you're predominantly white you know, led organizations or you're in a minority where you are being looked at as a, and to see, can you hack it? Are you delivering? Because it, it can, doesn't always, but for a lot of it, it does indicate whether someone else gets to come through the door as well. So it is a realistic burden, but it is a burden that's carried and it has an impact. Well, sure. I mean, there's no doubt that anyone who's underrepresented in the workplace, whether they're women, people of color, members of the LGBT community, right. I mean, you, you need, there's a different standard of what success means. Um, and I certainly felt beholden <laughs> to that standard and probably far above it. And what happened in my life was that I was able to maintain a certain level of quote-unquote perfection, at work, at home, uh, until a life-changing moment for me, which was the birth of my first child. And I should say that I have connected with, you know, over a thousand women over the past few years, and it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the breaking point is, you know, I fi- I finally got the promotion that I wanted, and discovered that it's a lot harder to be the boss than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Or, you know, I find out that a parent is ill or incapacitated and all of a sudden I become a caregiver um, when, you know, that I wasn't used to being that or doing that. And, you know, what happened was that I started, the person who used to be terrified of dropping balls, started dropping balls left and right in all kinds of ways. Um, but an awakening happened when, after I started dropping all of these balls, I started to notice that Armageddon never hit. You know, all of the things that I was fearful of, that I was certain would happen, right. you know, and it would be the negative consequence if I ever dropped a ball, they didn't. You know, no one ever came to read me my Miranda rights because I got too many parking citations. Like, no one ever called to tell me I'm not going to be your friend or I don't love you anymore because you missed my event. Um, it just, it didn't really pan out the way that I just assumed that it would. And so it caused me to start to question 
why am I feeling all of this pressure to begin with? Mm -hmm. And the first step for me was really getting clear about what mattered most to me, separate and apart from that narrative that we spoke about earlier. And that was the hardest task because I thought of myself as a woman who was quite uh, in the driver's seat of my own life. So to come to a place to have to admit that actually you're not in the driver's seat, you're living other people's expectations of yourself was really hard. But the way that I got clear about what mattered most to me was through a series of exercises there were, there's a lot of things that I did in the book. It was about a three-year journey, but I wrote the book because I don't think that it should take that long. Um, uh, the two of the most powerful exercises that I did, one was a funeral visualization exercise. Uh, it was made popular by a man named Stephen Covey. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And you, you know, it's a bit morbid. It's a very popular exercise. You envision your funeral. And what you would want people to say about you at your funeral, right. whether it's a colleague, a friend, a coworker, you know, a family member, and how you would want them to eulogize you. And it was a very powerful exercise for me as someone who was always obsessed with lists and getting things checked off of my list to come to this place of, you know what, at the end of my life, I don't want people to stand up and say, well, you know, you shot everything done off of her list every day. <laughs> like, I want people to say something more, you know, more meaningful right. than that. And it really caused me to see the forest from the trees and to have this epiphany around the fact that what you do is far less important than the difference you make. And that you really have got to be curating your life in a way that allows you to make a difference. I also did an exercise that I highly encourage everyone to do, um, in which I asked different people in my life about a time when they experienced me at my best. And I went to people who knew me when I was a child. Um, I went to an old teacher, just uh, several people. I asked about 15 people, you know, maybe 10 at least. Mm -hmm. And if you can transcribe the stories that they tell or their responses, it's even that much more powerful because what you can do is then print all of their responses, put them out on the floor or a big table, and start circling and highlighting the words and phrases that are similar. And what becomes very clear is there's a consistent experience that people have of us, that they've always had with us, right. that really is a key to what drives you, what motivates you, what you're passionate about, um, how you approach life, what your mindset is, that sheds a lot of insight. And between those two exercises and a few others, I was able to get clear that what matters most to me are three things. Um, one, advancing women and girls, surprise, surprise, um, but also nurturing a healthy relationship with my husband, with my partner, and raising conscious global citizens. And the most important aspects of what matters most to me is that I've gotten clear about what I hope to achieve in different areas of my life. Because I ask a lot of women, what matters most to you? And usually we rattle off different areas of our life. My family is important to me. My career is important to me. I think it's really, it's really critical that we kind of drill down on what do we hope to achieve in relationship to those areas of our lives so that we can begin to piece together um, what I call the drop the ball question. So, you know, once you're clear about what matters most to you, then the next step 
is really focusing on your highest and best use in achieving what matters most. And when I talk about your highest and best use, I'm referring to what you do extraordinarily well with very little effort, Mm -hmm. usually because you've done it over and over and over again. It's not usually because you're just a prodigy (laughs) at that thing. Combined with what are the things that only you can do? It would be either callous or irresponsible to delegate these things to other people. And if you're not clear, you have no idea of what you do extraordinarily well with very little effort, one of the secret or keys to figuring that out is to think about your jobs and all the rules that you've held. Usually, we end up with something that we do in the workplace that's not necessarily in our job description. And on very day and days when we're busy or we get really frustrated, we'll say to ourselves, you know, they don't even pay me to do this. Whatever that thing is, is probably a key to your superpower and what you do extraordinarily well with very little effort. So, for example, you know, when I was going through my career, one of the things I would always get frustrated about is that I would feel like my work would get derailed because I would be in constant conversations with other people. Because in every job I had, I was always the coaching chief. I was the person who people went to to get advice and insight confidentially without judgment. And so in terms of you know, one of the things that matters most to me, it's, for example, uh, raising conscious global citizens. One of the things that I do extraordinarily well with very little effort is helping other people to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement, right? That's my, that's my superpower. One of the things that only I can do in relationship to my kids is instill values in them. It's very hard to outsource the installation of values in, in human beings. It's kind of hard to hire someone to do that. Right. And, and it comes so, so, it's so rooted in your family. It's yes, rooted in your family yes, and how your family functions exactly. in the system. So. That's it. Yeah. And so my highest and best use in raising conscious global citizens is engaging my kids in meaningful conversations each and every day. I'm basically their coach in chief. Okay. Um, And so every day I ask them questions like, what kind of day did you create for yourself today? Who did you laugh with today? Okay. Okay. If an alien spaceship came from outer space today and abducted someone from your school, who would they have abducted? Why would they have abducted that person? And in that way, I can help them hopefully develop a positive relationship with themselves, with their teachers, their peers, the world around them, hopefully the world. And that, that's my drop the ball kind of equation, you know, is X, Y, or Z responding to this email, like saying yes to this event, is that my highest and best use in achieving what matters most to me and right. risk, you know, raising kind And if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, let me figure out how to do this. But if the answer is no, which quite frankly it is often when you've got some kind of litmus test for yourself, mm-hmm. then it's something that I feel comfortable dropping the ball on. Right. Um, and in either, you know, and sometimes I can find someone else to do it, sometimes it doesn't happen at all. And I've gotten had to get used to balls just rolling all over the floor. Right. But I think that and what, sorry, go filter, on. some kind of creating a filter for yourself to you know, to really filter the noise and all of the requests that are coming in is important. So I really you know, what's really powerful, I'm just really seeing that the is what is you're speaking about what once you get clear about your purpose, what your key um, values are and what you're here to do in, in the world, then then you're making many, 
much better choices about what you do and how you spend your time. And then you've got that guidance or the filter in, in how to make those choices. And so some of it is that we're actually spending a lot of time doing things that we really have no business doing, you know, because it's not really in alignment with what we want to do in the world or what we're up to, what we're committed to. And we're just sometimes it's just because we said someone asked and we say yes. And so we end up with more balls than we ought to have in the first place. It's also what I'm hearing in what you're saying from this place of, from the work that you've done uh, and the work that you encourage um, women to do on getting clear for what is it that you really care about? What is it that you want to leave? What's your right. legacy? And therefore, what are the, how are you going to be focused in making that a reality in your life? Right. And part of the reason why it's so important is because that's what you need in order to engage other people in your success. And that's what you need to message to them so that they understand because we don't live in a vacuum. And when, you know, you have colleagues at work, you have other parents at the school, you have, you know, you might have a partner, you might have kids, you have friends, you have family members who are imposing their expectations on you. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to say no when you don't have clarity yourself. I always ask my guests, how would you define define success for yourself though because um you have done a number of things you've you've led organizations you sit on boards you've written a book you out speaking and really impacting and influencing and developing women and girls out there so but how would you define your own success yeah success for me means a few different things that i'm doing all simultaneously at the same time one success for me means that I have a career and a livelihood that's aligned with my passion and my purpose. And that's especially important for me because I am a career woman. I, I, you know, I'm someone who wants to earn a livelihood and I need it to be something that I care deeply about. Otherwise, it's going to be tough for me to get up in the morning <laughs> and make it happen. Uh, number two, I feel that success is having high quality relationships with the people that I care the most about my family, my closest friends, the member of my crew, and me having the bandwidth to nurture those relationships in a really meaningful way. And number three, success for me is my own well-being, my physical well-being, my spiritual, my mental well-being. I, I feel that I want to feel whole and happy and healthy, um, not just for other people, but really for myself so that I can help make the world a better place. And if I have all of those three things at the same time, I feel that I'm successful. And what I've learned is that it's possible to have all those things, but it's not possible to do everything. Yes. Yes. You could tweet that, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've always asked my, my guests what, the, what their biggest accomplishment is. So of all the things that you've done so far, what's your biggest accomplishment? And then what's been your biggest challenge? I would say that my biggest accomplishment, because it is connected to the values my parents instilled in me, is that at every school I've graduated from, from my elementary school to my college, somewhere on the campus or in the building, there's a plaque with my name on it. And the reason why, to me, that's such an important accomplishment and why it's so important is because my parents taught me that we're not part of a community to just take from it. 
we are a part of the community to contribute to it. And in any community that I've joined or that I've been a part of, it's been my primary aim to make sure that I'm giving to it. And my name on those plaques and those buildings on those campuses is to me a reminder and evidence that I did what my parents taught me to do. Lovely, that's lovely. And then, um, and in your life, you know, you've spoken about as we when we started this conversation about like a real challenge for you when you were sixteen. And I'm just curious about, you know, has that been your biggest challenge, or has there, has there been something else that showed up for you that has really challenged you in your life? Well, my biggest challenge was this challenge around embracing imperfection. I mean, that's definitely the biggest challenge that I faced. But now that I've been through that journey and I've gone through that fire, right now the biggest challenge, Shirley, is that the world hasn't evolved, right, for evolved women and evolved families. And so, you know, I'm constantly doing what I feel like is committing these tiny acts of defiance. Um, to try to help the world understand that I don't necessarily conform to the same gender expectations that the rest of the world wants me to conform to. I'll give you a really good example because it happened recently. Um, One of the things that I delegated with joy in my drop the ball journey to my husband was managing our kids' social calendar. It's a task that often just default falls to women, but I've learned that it's the person who's the social butterfly in the relationship that should manage the social calendar. My husband does a great job. The problem is that for our kids especially, no one ever sends, for example, a birthday party invitation for a child to their father. They always send that to the mom. It's true. Right? Now, on some days when I want to commit this little tiny act of defiance, I will forward the back to them and I'll say, thanks so much for inviting my child to the birthday party. Her father or his father is their calendar maven. Can you please email him at, and then I include, you know, his email address. Um, But on most days when I've got a ton of emails in my inbox, I've got Slack messages from my millennial colleagues who aren't on email anymore. I've got text messages from my little sister saying they need $100 and another billboard telling me I should be skinnier or have longer hair. (laughs) And I have to ask myself my drop the ball question is responding to this evite for this birthday party invitation, my highest and best use in raising a conscious global citizen today, the answer is no. And by the way, that's how my kids end up missing birthday parties. Um, but that's, you know, that's my biggest challenge is, is helping the world catch up with the reality of today's working families. Yeah. Oh, name that. And I just think of all those moments of evites or schools telling you last minute when something's happening at the school and you're like, oh, that's funny because I'm literally not even in town. You know, like, ah, if only you would schedule and let us know ahead of time, you might be able to get me there. Yeah, so those things which have this, um, a very old model of families, an old model of um, ways that families operate, ways that parents operate, that... Yeah, that you're right, the, the environment that hasn't caught up. And then what do you do in those moments, even though you might be frustrated and annoyed? Right. It, like, let it, when to let go and when to take the action. Right. Yeah. 
You just, there are, there's so many things that you've said that resonate. There are so many things that resonate. And then it really takes um, creativity and it takes courage and it takes patience. It takes empathy, it takes love um, for ourselves and for others as we navigate the, this, um, these issues that we deal with in our lives, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. And I'll put the link to your book and your site. Um, I'm just assuming you can, I know you can get your book on iBooks on Amazon um, from your site, I imagine. Maybe. All of that. Any, any, any major book retailers will have it. Or at your indie stores, too, may will have it. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you later. And we're now going to move on to Shirley. I have a question, which is the time that I take one of your questions, one of the listener questions and um, share with you a perspective on how to address that particular question. And this week we have a question from Scarlett. And the question is, how do you cope when everything changes all of a sudden? when how do you manage the unexpected so when something's changed what do I need to do to manage that immediate change how do I respond and um the first thing that comes to mind with this question is I always think it's important to look for if some there's been some sudden change and some issue that's arisen for you is what support do you need as you go through this change? Um, is it emotional support and is it, or is it practical support? Because bringing in support from people that you trust and who you know will care about you for you it can help you think through how best to respond to what's happening for you, whatever the sudden change is. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is who do you need to talk to 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 garner some support for yourself? The second thing is it's always really important to what I call deal with what's in front of you. You know, of all the things that we have to do, there are things that are staring us in the face as the primary things to pay attention to to notice to care about and to really get clear about what's right in front of me to deal with what are the things that I can't ignore and and then how do I resolve those things how do I pay attention to those things and once you get clear about in this change in this sudden change what's the that's another way of saying what's the priority, what's right in front of me that I need to pay attention to, then it'll get clear then what are the things that you can leave behind for the period of time. So um, when I'm clear about what I can leave behind, then I need to figure out how I let people know that I'm leaving those things behind and I'm not dealing with them right now and why I'm not dealing with them right now how can I get that you kind of like get that off your back you know how do you delay 
for a period of time so that you can focus on what's in front of you and what you need to deal with really um so sometimes that it really works as I said sitting with someone that you can, that supports you th- helping you think this through another time is it might be another strategy might be writing it down you know people w- think clearer when they're writing things down on paper and mapping things out I love doing mind maps that's my thing <laughs> um as some people are list people some people are like doodle people and it's how whatever works for you but getting pieces of paper and, and writing things out and figuring it out for yourself so so in summary where's your support coming from dealing with what's in front of you figuring out what you need to leave behind and step aside from and letting people know that you're doing that so that they you're kind of getting that off your back and then and the final thing is using if it's not talking to someone using paper writing things down to help you get clear and have some clarity on on how to move forward so that's my guide on your question Scarlett and I hope that's helpful for you and I'm inviting my listeners to send in your questions what questions do you have that I can help you with and give you some guidance on um put into some resources you know let me know what questions do you have and it similarly there might be a question that you have that, that would be really good for a solo episode that I can kind of create a solo episode for around as well I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life you can hear from the guidance from Tiffany you know her top tips on how to really let go of some of those standards and ideals that we have that we need to really focus on but also I really love the exercises that Tiffany shared that she did for herself that she recommends that you do like the funeral exercise what's your eulogy the exercise to kind of speak to people in your life to get them to give you feedback on how they've experienced you at your best which is just and then like looking at those stories and and then finding the patterns for yourself that is an actually an exercise I do often with my my coaching clients and um the other is what do we hope to achieve in in relationship to those areas in our life you know so giving us to fo- a place to focus on our highest best use like what's like what do we, what do we care about what matters to us and really getting clear for ourselves and those things so really great guidance lots of gems in this episode i'd love to hear from you to find out what you're getting from this episode so please head over to my instagram account dm me send me messages via my um, my Instagram at Shirley McAlpine. You can send me an email by on ShirleyMcAlpine.com as well. There's a contact sheet there, or you can always connect with me on, on my Facebook page on She's Got Drive. Thank you so much for being in contact with me as you as we kind of navigate this um, together. I really, really appreciate when you're sending me the messages and we're going back and forth. So that's really great. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Vortolina. The music is by the awesome female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Until next time, thank you for listening. Go well and stay well.